The reading of the word from Acts 16, 13 through 19. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, these men are slaves of the most high God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit in her, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. The word of the Lord. Good morning, Highland. Uh, it's good for me to be here today, and I hope and pray that you're doing well wherever you are, whether you're listening in your uh, living room, as, as Michael said here in Abilene, or somewhere else around the world, we're, uh, we're joyed that you're able to gather with us today. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 16, and so if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there, and it's going to serve as a backdrop this week for our discussion. But if you're, if you're brand new here this week to this live stream, uh, I have been gone for the last four weeks on a, on a study break, and I want to share with you today a sentence that popped into my head a couple weeks ago, and, and it, was, it was tenacious enough that it would not leave. The sentence is very simple. We need to find a way to live with this. We need to find a way to live with this. Now, I want to define uh, a couple of the words in that sentence. By, what I mean by this is the pandemic and the, the conversation that's happening in our culture right now about racial, racial reconciliation. And, and in our church right now, we're having a conversation about gender discernment, whether or not uh, spiritually gifted men and women can serve in the role of elder here at Highland about the coming economic downturn that just kind of feels to be looming. Whatever it is in your world that, that's making you feel anxiety or, or just keeps you up at night, we need to find a way to live with this. I think the circumstance that we're in is going to be around longer than we thought it was. I was hoping, I don't know if you remember back in March when this all began, I was hoping eh, we'll be good by Easter or by May. And now we just don't know. We're going to have to find a way to live with this. But, but there's a problem with that sentence. I want to change one word. I don't want us to just find a way to live with this. We need to find a way to thrive in this. 
Let's figure out a way to be bold in this. Not unsafe, not foolhardy, but bold. And so I want to talk for a minute about our, our mission. If you, if you saw the news this week, there was a, a tremendous explosion that happened in the, the city of Beirut, Lebanon. And, and one of our partners in our uh, Restore the World projects is headquartered in Lebanon. It's the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary. It's a partner that we've been working with for a while. But what I want you to know is you probably received an email this weekend. Uh, the entire seminary is being retooled to serve the displaced and the destitute. Those that were learning to be missionaries to the Arab world, those that were learning to be pastors to churches in the Mideast have now all become social workers and nurse helpers, assistants, and, and finding places, people to live. They've even opened up their own campus to help them. And I find it truly admirable what they're doing. They, in a drop of a hat, in one weekend, retooled their entire organization so that they could serve their city. You may not know this, but Lebanon is, is one of the places in the world where Christianity is growing quickly. It's taken root in that city and in that nation, and it's taking hold. It's changing things. You may have heard this story. It was, it's a pastor in, in Lebanon who was jailed for being Christian. And 1,000 members of his church basically the size of Highland. 1,000 members of his church showed up at the jail and they said, either you let him out or you put all of us in there too. God's kingdom is happening in Beirut and it's happening in Abilene. And I want to tell you about the feeding program that's been going on for the last uh, couple of weeks. 350 people are being fed on average every day from the work of Highland. And this is just what Highland is doing. Southern Hills is feeding about 200 more people. And Becky Almanza, who's been done a terrific job of running this program, she did a survey and she asked the question, if this meal wasn't provided today, would you have something to eat? And the answer overwhelmingly was no. There was a couple who showed up, they were in their 50s. They didn't even have kids. And he was a little embarrassed and a little ashamed, but they thought, ask, can we eat too? He said, I never thought I would be in a soup line. Look, everyone has an opinion. Should we be meeting or not? Should we be wearing masks or not? Is In-N-Out truly a better option than Whataburger? And each of those is, an, on some level, an important conversation. But if for a minute we believe that the choice is, should we be bold in our mission to feed the hungry, to care for those in crisis in the world and in our city, we as a church have missed the point of the gospel. We don't need just to find a way to live through this. We need to find a way to thrive because we are called to be bold. I'm grateful for this place that has given me space and the resources for a study break. And it's good to be back. It's good to be here. We're going to jump to Acts chapter 16, but before we do that, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, for the power of your spirit, which emboldened the apostles to speak your truth in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. For the power of your spirit that cuts our hearts to serve those that are hungry in our city, to support those that are suffering incredible calamity around the world. For the spirit that stirs us to look more and more like your son Jesus every moment and every breath and every day that we have. We give you thanks. And Father, now in this time, as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I may speak your truth to these, your people, in love. And it's the church who says together, amen. Okay, so here's my concern. We're in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of protests that are reshaping America's conversation about race, and we in the church are in a process of discerning if men and women can serve as elders, and each of those is contentious. Like, each of those is enough that I guarantee you, if any of my ministry professors, if I had came to them and I said, hey, in my first year here to church, this is what I'd like to cover. Do you think we can do all of these at the same time? Their answer would be no. Those are each important. Deal with them one at a time. But we don't have that option this year. Highland can, can handle. Highland is strong enough to have more than one hard conversation at the same time. It's also an election year. And it's not the approval uh, rating changes in politics that bother me lately. It's the disapproval ratings. What I mean by that is I'm not so much concerned about how many people like a candidate or like a public official. What alarms me is the growing number of people that don't like them. And I think we're pretty naive to think that unless we have a robust and healthy theology of who we are and a strong sense of mission of what we are here for, that sense of disapproval rating is going to, be inf going to infect the way that we think and act as a body. I remember it was the first week that I was here at Highland, and uh, on Facebook I was tagged and in a conversation, and I, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know the person that wrote the tag. It was somebody here in Abilene, but they were talking about an experience they had about, um, they were at Los Arcos, and remember when we could all just go to restaurants? Um, we were at Los Arcos. They were at Los Arcos, and they heard, overheard somebody else, and they were saying pretty mean, negative, racist things to the waiter. And that person came up to them and asked, what church do you go to? And the person who was acting inappropriate said, the Highland Church of Christ. And they tagged me. What's your response? First three-day preacher in a city that you barely know. And I, I want you to be honest. I wanted to disavow them. I wanted them to leave so that we wouldn't be the kind of church that has someone who says racist things in public. But I was wrong. And I hope if you're still here, I still don't know who you are, it doesn't matter. 
I hope if you're still here and you're watching, I want you to know you belong. You belong here, and I want you to experience some of the stories from our black brothers and sisters as they talk about their personal experiences of racism. And I want you to hear it with an open heart. The Spirit is convicting me as I watch those stories. And that's giving me freedom. And I want you to have it too. I hope that you would just disappear so that you wouldn't be a part of us. But my heart's changed. I want you to be a part of us so that you can hear what Jesus can do. And it'd be easy to think that our goal as a church is to be a club where we all get to be <coughs> excuse me, woke together or benevolently rich together or red or blue together. But that would be a failure of the gospel and a failure of the Highland Church of Christ. The, the person that you disagree with the most, the person that you find the most grating when you talk to them, might be the most important person here at this church for you. In fact, I've become convinced God probably put them here for you. Everyone needs a VIP, but the VIPs, according to Jesus, may not be who you think. And so we turn to this story in Acts uh, chapter 16, and, and it's no accident that the story of Lydia and the story of the slave girl are put right next to each other. Luke is doing something there on purpose so that we can see the contrast between these two women. They represent two sides of an economic system. And, and the, the first century system was a fixed goods economy. And what that meant was uh, that uh, the pie was a certain size. And everybody had a piece. But the only way that you got a bigger piece of the pie is if somebody else got a smaller piece. And so what that prompted in the culture was a lot of status quo. Because if anybody below you was getting richer, that means that you might be getting poorer. And they live on these two sides of the economic spectrum. One is a, a, a dealer in purple cloth, a luxury good. She sold her stuff at Neiman Marcus. The other was a slave girl who told fortunes. She was kind of a, a tourist trap that would catch people to, to hear something funny or interesting about their future. The same is not exactly true in our culture now. Our economic system also has a strong divide between the rich and the poor. In fact, for the last six decades, in America at least, that divide is getting bigger and bigger and bigger as the rich get richer and the poor stay poor. In fact, in the last 10 years, and especially in the last six months, the rate of change of that divide is getting greater. For instance, Jeff Bezos, he's the CEO of Amazon, will probably become the first trillionaire in the world in the next decade. And he's going to be followed closely by Alibaba's Jack Ma, he's in China. And then poor Mark Zuckerberg, who probably won't become a trillionaire for another two decades when he is 51. Let's all give a sigh for poor Mark Zuckerberg. <sighs> But in our system, instead of thinking that, you know, in order for me to have more money, somebody else has to have less, we think instead, let's just make a bigger pie. 
and everybody could have more. Enter in about 10 years ago, the, the movement you might remember called Occupy Wall Street. And uh, they, they had one of their protests at a building that my sister worked at in Portland. And one time she uh, told us, ah, the stench of free speech, where those people were protesting this divide. They didn't feel it was very American. They didn't like this system and the way it's going. And there's been a movement, I think, in the last few years for us to demonize wealthy people, that there's something wrong with them. They must be evil or selfish or greedy. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. I mean, that may be true, but it's not universally true. Bill Gates and his foundation are, are, is doing more single-handedly to help poverty, sickness, and disease in Africa and in the third world than anyone else in the world. He's found a way to use what he's been given to bless others. In the first century, you were pretty much, without very few exceptions, born into the economic class you would spend your life in. In our system, that isn't the case, but the consequence of that is if you can better yourself, if you're not, it seems to be your fault. And that means you must be lazy or unlucky or stupid. It's not true. Lydia has power and has influence, and, and she's able to support Paul and his team. She is not converted by Paul's words, but by the power of God. And she quickly demonstrates what living into that power means by offering them hospitality. It's one of the first century Christian church's most important virtues. She, she funds Paul and his team, and, and later the Philippian church is going to, uh, and, and to some extent Lydia herself, will support Paul as he continues the rest of his work. In fact, part of the book of Philippians is Paul writing back saying, hey, thank you for this gift. I really appreciate it, but you don't get to be my patron. What I'm doing is I'm serving God. I, I, I can't serve you. I must serve God. Yet, nonetheless, I'm thankful for this gift. Lydia demonstrates very quickly what it looks like to be a, a person of means dedicated to the gospel. And then there's this slave girl slave girl who's possessed and used to tell fortunes. She is such a captive to the system and her owners that we don't even know her name. Many scholars think that as Paul's letter to the Philippians is being read, that little girl might have been sitting in the room. Lydia, rich, a person of privilege, encounters the gospel and immediately becomes a servant to those around her for the sake of the gospel. A slave girl, captive to a demon, to an economic system that enslaves her, to men who are exploiting her, suffering for profit, encounters the power of God through Paul and immediately becomes free. Still a slave, but free from possession. And then the story goes on to tell about Paul and Silas. They're two free Roman citizens who are attacked by a mob and denied due process by the city judges and put in chains, thrown in jail. And you would think that they would sit there all night languishing in the dark, but they are singing hymns and praising God. And when the power of the Spirit comes to break those chains and the prison doors open, the jailer comes and draws his sword to do the honorable thing that happens when jailers fail and the prisoners escape. Having the key to someone else's cell does not make you free. 
and iron bars do not a prison make. This text offers us insight into the encroaching reality of the kingdom, doesn't it? It sheds light on our false assumptions. Everyone who appears to be free, the girl's owners, the judges, the jailer, is a slave. And everyone who appears to be enslaved, the slave girl, Paul and Silas, are free. But then there's this interesting case of Lydia. She's free in the beginning, a woman of note, a person of power and influence, and she becomes a servant, emptying her house and her treasure for the sake of the kingdom. That is the path of Jesus, who gives up heaven and all of the glory that that entails to become human, and not only become human, to become a slave, not only a slave, but obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think we can learn something from Lydia They're all the things that shackle us. The privilege of money and influence, the possession of demons and mental illness, the power of iron bars, but the power of the Spirit and the kingdom tell us something that sometimes becoming a servant is how you find freedom. The Philippian church needed Lydia. It would not have been the same, and they couldn't have do the same mission that God had called them to do without her. And the Philippian church required the slave girl. Her life and freedom is an essential testimony to the church and the city about what the power of the Holy Spirit can do in someone's life. We can't be the church without all of our VIPs, the rich and the poor, both the Republicans and the Democrats, both the Texans and everyone else. The church needs Lydia's and slave girls and Elijah's and Lazarus's and everyone in between. It wouldn't be the same. The church needs someone like me. And the church needs someone like you. Even if we don't always agree. Because a church that looks and sounds and thinks just like me is not a church at all. It is a clever and insidious prison. So be careful as you hold the keys to the gates and the doors because you think you're locking someone else out. But the truth is, you've just locked yourself in. A church of difference being sanctified by the ongoing freedom of the Spirit becomes a church of difference. Hear me clearly, a church of difference We're all not going to look the same or sound the same or think the same or act the same or talk the same. When we are being guided by the Spirit, it becomes a church that makes a difference. And the beauty of the power of the Spirit is when that sanctifying action happens, when we all begin to look more and more like Jesus, the paradox is, is that we start to look less and less like one another. As our gifts become refined and trained and shaped by the power of God, I stop thinking and looking more like you. But that's because the Spirit is making us different. We don't become one color. We become the rainbow. And I'd like to imagine in that Philippian church, if a visitor walked in and took a seat, And they just happened to be sitting next to Lydia. You know what Lydia would say? She would say something like, I'm so glad you're here. 
And I really want you to meet that little slave girl over there. She has a story about what the power of the Spirit can do that you would not believe. She was enslaved. And she found freedom through Jesus. And that same freedom is available for you. And if that visitor walked in and just happened to sit next to that slave girl, I'm pretty sure I know what she would say. She would say, I'm so glad you're here. It's good to meet you. But you know who you really need to meet? Lydia. Lydia has so much goodwill and has given up so much. She has sacrificed everything for the sake of the gospel. And you know how many people get fed because of her? Do you know how many people hear about Jesus because of her? You really need to meet her because she was free and became a slave for the sake of the kingdom. Here's the promise. If you hang around here long enough and you get engaged in the messy and the beautiful work of love together and you share in the action that God is doing here in Abilene, you're going to see something more than egalitarian or complementarian. You're going to see something more than Democrat or Republican. You're going to see something more than a bunch of difference. You're going to see a difference. And so this week I have uh, two questions that I want you to think about. Um, and if you have uh, lunch after this because it's Sunday morning and you're about to eat something, I want you guys to talk about this around your table. Or if you're watching this at a, another time this week, I want you to try to create a conversation, a moment where you can talk to somebody else about, about these two reflective questions because I think it matters for what we do here at Highland. God calls us to live in a community of difference. And what is the best part for you in knowing and loving other disciples who have different backgrounds or perspectives or theological experiences. Someone says a prayer here at Highland, and that just sounds really different than the way you pray. Somebody stands up and says, you know what we really ought to be involved in? It's this kind of work over here, and you never even thought that that would be something that God would call us to. What's good about that? And then I want to leave you with a challenge. Sometimes the differences in community make it difficult for us to love each other. But a church that sounds and thinks just like me is no church at all. So this week what I want you to do is reflect about someone here that you know at our church. And if you can, I mean it may be a while. You've got to remember what their face looks like. You've got to remember their name. I am terrified when we all gather back, that I'm back at square one because I can't remember any of you. It's not fair. I was only here for six months. Um, I want you to reflect on their name, someone that's different than you. And instead of focusing on the way that they don't see the world the same way you do, focus on how God uses them. Focus on what God has done in their life. Focus on how God is challenging them to change the world to restore our city, to join in what God is doing. And take the time to recognize them as a VIP because I think they might just be the most important person that God has put here for you. This week, may you be filled with the Spirit. 
May you see the world in new eyes and may you look for ways to thrive during a pandemic, during all, all of the challenges that we have. May you thrive. May you see the work of Jesus in the face and the life of your brother and sister. May you go in peace.